You're listening to the Docs and More podcast with Lovejeet Daliwal. Today I'm joined by a Kenyan musician from Nairobi who has now turned documentary maker. As well as being the front woman of the explosive band Maya and the Big Sky, her first feature documentary, The Letter, has come out this year. The film, which explores how and why families turn against their elders, is co-directed and produced with her husband Christopher King and is just been officially selected by Kenya to be their entry for the Oscars. Maya Likau, welcome to the Docs and More podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Lovajit. Can you tell me, first of all, where did the idea for the film come from? Six and a half years ago, we heard about a female freedom fighter who fought against the British, and she was from the coast of Kenya. So for us, like as we were reading this children's story, we were trying to find more information about her, and we couldn't find it. So Chris and myself decided to go on a journey to the coast of Kenya, where my family is from, my father's side of the family is from, to try and research more about her. And as we spoke to a lot of elderly people, they were ready to tell us her story, but at the same time, they also wanted to share the issue that was happening now, where a lot of elders are being accused of being witches and, and essentially chased from their homes or being killed. So for two years, we had spent a lot of time with these elders and kind of really like tracing the cultural, the cultural roots of the area. And as we then started hearing more and more and more from these elders about these witch accusations, the, the, the film kind of essentially then veered uh, from telling her this freedom fighter's story to actually now just a much more like a story about today and what's happening with these elders and essentially like how our knowledge and wisdom and the generations of knowledge are just being are disappearing. I mean, it sounds extraordinary that people, even in this day and age in the 21st century, are being accused of witchcraft. What is the reason behind that? Oh, that's a really hard question, Lavajit. There's so many different answers, I think. Um, I think firstly, I think it's the kind of the, um, the new insurgence of, uh, of different various religions. Uh, I think, uh, you know, the last, I don't know, 15, 20 years, Christianity has become much stronger here. And I think that has definitely played a role in ostracizing the more kind of pagan believers uh, of traditional beliefs. And I think that's definitely played a big role because a lot of the elders that are being accused are people who do believe in spiritual and and, and, and older traditional practices. Um, so, uh, you know, the elders who are wearing traditional clothing, um, they're all considered as witches because they're not part of the church. And it's a lot of these priests from these churches that are actually um, the ones who are inciting this, this, this negative information about, around this. And then, of course, there's, you know, there's the, the, the poverty rate here is higher than ever before. And that's playing a big role, too, because a lot of our youth don't have jobs. And so it's, it's very easy for them to then be paid something by a family to essentially then go and, you know, go and murder or go and scare other elders. And, yeah, capitalism, you know, you, the whole idea of kind of the universal theme around inheritance and land, which we see all over the world. You know, you have a lot of the younger generation who... Are wanting the land of the elders and for the elder the land is their wealth and for the young people you know it's more kind of materialistic things so that's causing like a huge rift. You mentioned all these kind of issues which come into play in the film but basically the, from what I gather the, the key thing seems to be is that the children of the family they're all after the land aren't they they're all after the money as it were. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, in our film, um, it's it's tricky because it's not in our film. It's not really about the land issue, like for the for the uncle. I think for him, as the stepson, as a stepson to our main protagonist, the grandma, um, for him, I think there was a lot of other jealousies. Um, and as a stepson, you know, a lot of those issues were coming out, and 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 he didn't feel like he'd received the love and affection that the that the other kids had received within this family. So in our in our context, I don't know if it was fully about the land, but in all the other in all the other the other stories that we had collected, especially like in the shelter in the film, um, a lot of those elders had been chased from their homes because their children were essentially wanting to sell the elders' land, and and to do that, uh, you know, then they wanted to try and get rid of their elders to have that access. Now, is it quite common? for the elderly in Kenya to be treated in this way? Not at all. Um, and I think also when we share this with, 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 you know, with other people from other countries, I think Africa has always had this very, very strong respect, very high respect for their elders. Um, and that still exists in a lot of different places. But I just feel like with these other external things that are putting so much pressure on the family unit, um, it's starting to, to, break down, to break down that respect and that strength. Um, and I mean, you know, it's funny, like we were in New York before COVID happened and we were in the subway. And for example, like, you know, you're seeing signs of respect your elderly. So I think worldwide, the respect for elders is definitely disintegrating. Um, I think here it's just kind of just taken to that next level. Can you also just um, just remind me, because I believe the figure of how many elderly are actually killed in this way mm-hmm. is, is absolutely is horrific, really, isn't it? It is. The number and the word on the ground is more than 10 elders have been killed every month. Now, because also... Um, over know, witchcraft, no, over, uh, for the land. Oh, yeah, over witchcraft accusations around land, inheritance. Um, and, and the problem is, is that there's no real stats. So essentially, like when you go, like we were at the coast quite recently for, you know, just starting up our impact campaign. And like, you know, there was one elder from one area that was saying that in that week, I think there'd been already like two or three killings. You know, you go somewhere else and you hear the same thing. So for us, kind of also as part of our impact campaign, it's very important that we are able to next year be able to really kind of put together a strong kind of research and data collection. So we really understand uh, the amount of elders that are being killed in the area. How long did it take you to bring this film together? Because I can't, I can imagine it must have been quite a, a tricky process. It was, um, you know, as I mentioned, we kind of initially had started with the story of the female freedom fighter, um, and that that process was about two years. But but we were still trying to find like that was a very kind of social issue film, and we had a lot of interviews and a lot of kind of cultural interactions because also you know being a musician, like the music from this area is extremely rich and and really beautiful, but. But then as we were then, you know, talking to these elders and hearing this new story after the two years that we'd already been filming and then meeting our main protagonist who actually came to help us in Nairobi to translate uh, some footage of these interviews because Chris and I both speak Swahili, but we don't speak the language from this particular part of the coast, which is called Giriyama. So we had this young man to come in and help us translate, um, who was a musician and a puppeteer. And as he was watching this footage, he was like, oh my gosh, this is happening to my grandma right now. I just read a Facebook post, you know, to say that some cousins are accusing her of killing her children. And for us, that was a moment where we were like, oh my gosh, um, 
you know, we should follow this story because we were lacking that kind of personal, intimate story from those two years of initially of initially filming. So from there, we then went with Carissa, our main character, with him to meet his grandma. We spent a lot of time without the camera, you know, just sitting down, um, explaining to them what it is that we do. Um, funnily enough, the, where the family house is of Carissa's, where the grandma lived, was right across the road from where my uncles live. Um, so, so it was just a really good time to be able to un- to know the grandma, um, to clearly see that she is not a witch in any way or form. Um, and also then also for me, like really to be able to then also get to know relatives and family members that I hadn't never connected with before. So it was obviously quite a length of time that you spent all together in, in, in just getting the access or just making your protagonist quite comfortable with you. Yeah, sorry, I didn't answer your question. So it's taken us six, six, six years in total. And, uh, and, and that initial, you know, for us, I think kind of in just the way that we shoot is very intimate and very, you know, it's observational. Um, and, uh, and for us, it was really important. And actually, like we do with all our films, is how do you just essentially just be with people, just understand them without any cameras? Um, and then from there, then once they're comfortable, you know, Chris, whilst we're sitting having dinner, all of a sudden has the camera and, and it feels like, you know, like an extended arm or leg, you know, where they weren't, they weren't in any way, um, uh, what's the word, intimidated by the camera. What was, would you say, would have been perhaps the greatest challenge in, in making this documentary then in that case? I think it would be because witchcraft is so taboo and not spoken about, and especially along the coast and other parts of actually Western Kenya, it's it's very strong, strongly believed. Witchcraft is, is is very strongly believed in, and I think for us, like that was one of the hardest things was how is it that you can, you know, open the lid, and share the stories um, of these elders that are being accused, in a way that is not. I don't know, I, I did that, that was the hardest challenge, is how is it that you can kind of get very intimate and be able to share these extremely like secretive kind of family stories outside of the family um, and, and, and not be in any way invasive or in, disrespectful. And that for us, I think, was the hardest. And, and hopefully, like through the film, you know, we don't take sides, like we are in the middle. Um, and that's actually how it played out. And that for us was really important is that there is no solutions watching the film. We don't really take sides. I think we, we give both sides of the family the voice and, and you can feel the, the anger and the fear and the resentment um, on both sides of that. And I feel like we did that as equally as we possibly could. You, I mean, you mentioned there just now that it was very tricky getting people to open up and getting them to speak about witchcraft quite openly. I mean, you do you feel that you that you managed to get the best out of them? Because it's amazing. I I just thought what you when you watch the film when you watch a documentary, it they just come across so warmly, and such people that you would that you could really relate to that could be even be your next door neighbor and that really did come across for me oh yay thank you yeah that was the idea um and and i think that that's just you know just i think there's a there's a way that you just get completely comfortable with with somebody and you really invest the time in just spending those many weeks like we were there for i think two or three weeks without the camera um living with the family in kaloleni and i think that that's that's why that's why we were able to get those very intimate stories. Um, and, and, and with grandma, for example, what we did is, is she shared her story with us, but not the kind of depth of when you kind of go into those two monologues of her story and her background. That came later when we then came back, we showed her some footage that we'd already cut together 
made sure that we were on the same page. And then from there, I think she realized that we were, you know, kind of also on her side and wanting to tell the best story possible for her to then be able to completely open up and explain to us about, you know, her history and about what happened with her sister's with her sister's passing and the children and that's how she then you know became the mother to those to those kids i've got to say i mean the grandmother she's an extraordinary character and you can really see her strength of character come across as well mm. what was her reaction to the film when she first saw the documentary first of all like i think seeing yourself on screen um especially like you know when you live like not in the cities or when you don't watch films about your neighbors and about things that you know essentially are your culture i think she was there was kind of a detachment a bit and i don't know how to explain it um more than that but but i think once she then kind of understood what it was that we were trying to do she she gave us her consent and um and and i think for her she really believed in witchcraft and and it was funny because as we were also showing the other elders in the film you know she was asking are those elders actually witches um so it it was an interesting conversation but i in the end uh she did give us her consent and and very unfortunately a few uh about a month ago she passed away um not out of anything to do with witchcraft but just from old age and she she passed away peacefully um and i'm so glad that we were able to kind of capture her spirit and her soul and be able to share that with you know the the, the grandchildren and her children you know for the for the however many more years to come um so i'm really glad that we were able to do that I was just going to ask you that um with the story of the film and the witchcraft and and the land and all of that at play without giving away any spoilers could you are you able to tell us how the family is doing now Um I mean after after grandma's passing I know that everyone came to the funeral we unfortunately due to covid weren't able to make it down there uh, but we were you know supportive in all the other ways that we could be and i know that both um you know all sides of of the family came um and i think that then for them especially for the aunties in the film it's really important for them to be able to try and fix you know all these issues and move forward together rather than this kind of big big crack uh, in the family unit so i think it was a time for the whole family to come together and i really hope you know just through this film and us also essentially then trying to be kind of more mediating to try and bring also the family together and have those discussions i'm hoping that you know as we move forward then they can be completely like one unit once again the fact that this film has actually been made and is being playing at quite a few film festivals around the world and i believe it's due to be screened in kenya quite soon as well mm-hmm. what has the reaction been in kenya and what has particularly in terms of people um being more comfortable about discussing the idea of witchcraft um yeah we we are hopefully going to release it by the end of this year with covid now the case is increasing we're still trying to kind of we're really torn between whether we do cinema theatrical release or whether we just release it online um but the what we have started which has been an incredibly powerful process is the the impact screenings so a few weeks ago we went down to this part of the coast and um we showed the film to different focus groups so we had elderly you know focus group with elders uh, with the educators with religious leaders with women um and with youth and just watching the reactions of people watching this film um it was it was just so moving and so emotional and for example like um 
like in the in one of the screenings there was a lady who had just seen her grandfather you know killed several weeks ago and so as she was watching it she was just breaking down crying um, and couldn't believe that she was actually able to speak about something so openly after seeing our film same with the youth, like in the youth group, it was incredible because you had perpetrators who were feeling kind of guilty, but they were also feeling anger. One of them in particular had already, you know, had tried to kill his father, but but then last minute, it, you know, it, he didn't follow through. But but all of these emotions and all of these things that are bottled up inside, um, and now you're able to to express yourself and you're able to to. And, and I don't know, people within all these groups were just able to speak very freely and very frankly. And, and it, was, it, was, it was really moving. And it kind of reminded Chris and, Chris and myself like why we started making this film in the first place. Um, and this is the main thing for us, is that how is the community where the film was made reacting to the film? And how can now this film be used as a tool um, within the communities to be able to kind of create change? So, yeah. And what sort of a change do you hope to see? I hope to see, first of all, I think that religious, religious, uh, different, you know, religious um, de denominations and religious leaders need to take more responsibility of the information that they're sharing to their congregants. Um, I, I feel like a lot has to come with that. And I also hope that kind of the change can also happen with children at a young age where they appreciate their elders and they appreciate culture and you know those old knowledge systems more instead of just you know flinging them out of the window and saying that those are backwards and and traditional and we don't want to know them so essentially i think those are the changes and and of course like you know making the killing of elderly a national priority uh, i think those are the main things now you mentioned the church there the church is clearly seen as a very strong influence in the film mm -hmm. Is it that strong, that influential in reality? It is very much so. I think because, you know, there's so many beautiful things about about our culture, about our country. Um, but I also think that there's so many things that, that as Kenyans, and as Kenyans in, you know, outside of the cities, uh, there's a lot of suppressed... I don't, I, it's not anger is not the right word but just frustration you know the amount of work that someone has to do for such little pay or you know just all the, the stresses and the issues of today that are burdening people and I think the one place the one place where where people take solace is in the church and and we and you know even like all those years of filming we went into various like numerous churches and that's the one place where people can just break down and just cry and be able to really like open themselves up and i think that and i'm not saying that all churches and all religious leaders you know are bad because there's some amazing people and and it's a really strong support network for the community but it's just how at your rawest form um how is it that a priest or a religious leader I don't know what I'm trying to say, love, Bridget. But um, but but how is it that 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 we kind of spread the word of love without sounding cliche, rather than than you know the word of division and the word of you know one person being better than another person because of what they believe in? It's very noticeable, but that there isn't just one church tradition in this film. There's actually two, at the very least. But yeah. I'm assuming there are probably very there are very more in in real life as well, which are also involved in this whole witchcraft saga. Mm, yeah, so the, yeah, so in in that particular scene, you've got like the Pentecostal priests, 
who are the uncle's priests, and then you have the Anglican priest, who's grandma's priest. Um, and essentially, I mean, they're both Christian, and uh, and and they're warring between them. Um, and that's kind of really surprising to a lot of people. Uh, and of course, then in this area, you also have a huge number of, of Muslims, as well as then the kind of the traditional believers who are literally sandwiched in between these, these larger um, religious groups. Are the elderly, are they, is it still a huge issue even now? Are they still being exploited in this way? They are, very unfortunately. Um, I think, from what I understand, I think it is definitely, um, I think the numbers are decreasing. And I think also, like, as kind of with the impact team that we have, a very strong impact team uh, and the impact campaign, already those discussions with government leaders, both on the ground and in Nairobi, in the capital, you know, I think things are starting to shift slowly. But it is still happening. And it's also not just a coastal problem. It's not just this one area that's dealing with this. There's also, in Western Kenya, another area, um, which is the area of Kisi, which is also, it's extremely, extremely prominent. Um, so those are the two main areas in Kenya where this is happening. And it's and, a bit... Yeah, sorry. Go no, ahead. I was just going to say, I mean, you mentioned the government there, but um, I, I suppose it's quite surprising to many uh, that you would have thought the government would be heavily involved in trying to eradicate this issue, eradicate this problem. You know, when you talk about something like witchcraft, it's so vague and so intangible that it's difficult. Um, it's difficult for the police to know what to do with and how to deal with it. Um, so, you know, for example, you know, Lavajit, you can say that I'm a witch, uh, but it's just, it's so intangible. Um, so I think the police are really having a challenge dealing with that. And then also at the same time, like, you know, that there are police, there are government people who are trying to do something but at the same time not enough and they don't have the resources like I know like so many families that we spoke to you know you want to get a policeman to come after you know the crime has happened and the police can't afford to pay for the fuel to get to this family so it kind of just becomes really murky um, and then I mean after I mean the number one thing of course is that killing and murdering is is a crime number one full stop but I think with everything that's kind of murky underneath it, it's really difficult for them to pinpoint as to why this has happened, how it's happened. People don't want to snitch on other people because then they may think that then they may be witched. So it's just this kind of very murky pot of how to deal with it. And, and for us, during the focus groups and the impact campaign, it was really interesting to try and speak to the community and figure out, like, how do you guys think, like, what is the best solution to deal with this? And I think there's definitely practices old ancient traditional practices of how they used to deal with witches that is still important to be able to kind of bring back into today but of course you know we're the 21st century so how do you find that balance and it's it's really tricky and the conversation is 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 deep we're trying to figure it out <laughs> well good luck with that i, I really do mean that um, now as you as we mentioned right at the beginning of this interview you you came across this you came across this story Whilst you were researching another story, mm -hmm. are you now going to go back to making your original film, the one about the freedom fighter? <laughs> uh, I, I mean, we have so much footage. I mean, I think Chris and I, because this was Chris and I's first film, and, uh, and, and, and like, I'm sure you know, like, as a documentarian, I don't know how, how you worked on your first film, but, but for us, we were just filming everything. And so we kind of came on with so much footage and some really great stuff and some really not so great stuff. And, now, and, and yeah, we do have all this footage and, and extremely rich footage. So we are thinking, you know, how do we then essentially 
you know, is this the next thing that we can do about this female freedom fighter that we can then share, especially here with universities and schools? So, so, so we'll see. Hopefully, yes. Hopefully, yes. <laughs> Excellent. That's what I'd love to hear. And uh, are you working on anything else at the moment? Any other projects lined up? Yeah, it's never a dull moment. We actually, for the last three years, have been working on a project called, our working title is How to Build a Library. And it's um, two friends who we've known for many years, Chris and I, um, in different capacities, uh, who are transforming a dilapidated junk-filled library in Nairobi CBD. And it's kind of this, this very colonial building that's been there since 1931. And it was only for white use only before our independence in 63. And so now you have these young Kenyan, very tenacious women who are trying to change that and decolonize the space. Uh, so we've been filming with them for the last three years. And um, we're just about to go into actually Good Pitch Kenya with this film. So that's super exciting. And we're kind of in development, early production stages, just trying to raise some more money. And then we have a very, very new project. I don't want to tell you too much, but it's very interesting about another very strong female figure who may be running for some political party. Wow, it's all go with you guys, isn't it? It's like it <laughs> several projects there. Yeah, and then music somehow in between, like on the cusp. How, how on earth do you fit it all in? I would love to know. Oh my gosh, I do not know. I just All I just know <laughs> is that we work all the time and we need a holiday. That's <laughs> I think that's probably everyone at the moment. But yes, yeah. I, I totally hear you on that. That sounds amazing. But I wish you best of luck with all the pitching. I hope you win all the money. And that uh, I really look forward to seeing the library film because that also sounds really, really intriguing. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me on this, Lavajit. It's been great to speak to you. Oh, it's been lovely to have you on the Docs and More podcast. Thank you for coming on. You've been listening to the Docs and More podcast with Lovejeet Daliwal. If you enjoyed the show, review and subscribe to the series.